ladies, this is Jessica Iterole. And I'm Barbara Saunders Livingston. And we want to welcome you to the Seeking Holy Podcast. A podcast for women seeking Christ in a challenging world. As you listen, we hope you'll be encouraged to open God's Word, to seek Him, and strengthen your abiding relationship with Christ. Whether you find yourself with plenty of time or not enough time, pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab your Bible, and join us for Seeking Holy. Did you know the Bible talks about there being different measures of faith? We read statements like, ye of little faith, or faith as small as a mustard seed, the tiniest of seeds. Jesus himself tells a woman, you have great faith. And to another, I haven't found anyone in Israel with such great faith. You know, we've already addressed how God really is after our faith and is pleased by us living and exercising our faith, trusting Him in all things, evidenced by acting and moving in obedience to all He has commanded. Perhaps you felt as the disciples did when they boldly yet humbly stated, increase our faith. We all would like great faith, faith that will move mountains. And God has given each of His children a certain measure of faith, which He expects us to use exercise and operate in our spiritual gifts. Uh, Apparently, we all don't have the same allotment, however. Faith is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In 1 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, I say to everyone among you to not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Mm, Praise God. And I'm so thankful to be given a measure of faith. I need that. And I need God's gift of giving to me the measure of faith I need for today. And I'll expound more on that in our last segment of this series when we get into confidence in faith. But for now, I'll say that I love that I can ask for faith today. Yes. That the Lord will help me if I'm struggling even with a little bit. I think we had these moments of help my unbelief and wherever we are in our growing of faith, maybe we're like that more often, or maybe we feel that we're at an area where we ask that less and less and our faith is growing. But it's such a blessing that every day, all day, if we want to, as much as we want to, God is readily available to listen to us and delights in us asking things of him, especially things according to this. Help me to have more faith to believe in you, your truth, your promises. Mm -hmm. And I can ask it again and again, knowing that the Lord will provide. And not only does he not get bothered by my impetuous asking, but he freely and cheerfully grants it to me. I'm so wonderfully dependent upon his gifts and it is readily and exceedingly available to all who will ask him. So for those who have faith in God, great things will happen. Let us live our life in a way that we're seeking and trusting him in all things and we will see him move. Now, at the beginning of this series, I spoke from Matthew 21. Now, we spoke about the fig tree and why Jesus performed this remarkably destructive miracle of cursing this tree, which had the pretense of fruit and yet not possessing it. 
And now we'll focus on some of our favorite parts. Casting mountains into the sea, powerful faith without doubt. And as verse 22 continues, in all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. This gets us excited as we ponder what is the potential of faith? God is limitless. So can our prayers be limitless? Let's explore. Verse 23 describes a mountain. Well, what is a mountain? Mountains represented here are massive difficulties, impossible for us to handle. It's sitting there firmly planted in the way. Now, some mountains are meant to be climbed. Some mountains are meant to go around or plow through. Yet once in a while, God plants a mountain in front of us that absolutely blocks the view of everything else ahead of us. This one, we can't climb. We can't get around or even blast through. It simply must move. Now, listen, honey, you cannot move this mountain on your own and you can only avoid it for so long. But even then, you find yourself confronted with this mountain. You can hardly even move forward. And we ourselves will not move these mountains, but God will. And as we pray and seek him, we'll see them move aside. He will either change our circumstances or he will change us by the circumstances. Wow. Yeah, he's definitely uh, come through for me, moving things about in my life that I could not on my own. Mm. Um, you know, so I was raised up and taught, discipled spiritually, mostly through what has been termed exegetically. Okay, so exegesis uh, comes from the Greek word for interpret, and it is often defined as a critical look at or interpretation or an explanation of a text. And so, you know, I was influenced and taught from the very beginning of my walk with Christ and entering a church body a few things. And so this approach helps to sort of pound out and prevent settling for false theologies um, these are especially helpful when dealing with a topical theme like what we're do talking about today, faith, for example, um, or sincerely desiring to understand the spiritual truths and meanings of passages in Scripture and certainly decisions pertaining to the will of God. So now I've not done this perfectly, uh, nor have I taken the time it requires to always study all of these out, but they are ingrained into my discipleship, okay, from the very start. And I'm so thankful for that. And so there are three sifters or scales in which to weigh, so to speak, when coming to study and understand and in setting out to rightly divide the Word of God, uh, know the will of God and have the mind of Christ, etc. And so the first one, um, and there's been more and more talk of this, thankfully, is context, okay? And uh, number two would be culture, um, including the original language um, of a text, the Hebrew, Aramaic, or the Greek. And then these first two, thankfully, like I said, are becoming more and more practiced, and um, but there's still another one which has to be taken into consideration. And so that would be what I call counsel, uh, the entire counsel of the Word of God about a particular thing or subject. And so not only do we consider the context of a verse, you know, resisting cherry picking and basing our belief and our doctrine and heaven forbid our life decisions on one verse, uh, but we also, and perhaps not to the same degree, but it is valid 
the culture of the day in which the text is addressing and being written to, but also we must consider the whole counsel, okay, of the Word of God. For example, you know, before recording this episode, knowing we would be discussing faith, I looked up every place in God's Word where faith is mentioned, all right? And then I began reading and studying and formulating what I would share directly from God's Word and from the deeper study of, of His Word. So we have to keep in mind that we all bring to the table biases, uh, which we are aware or maybe not so aware of. Um, we have a tendency to think our way, you know, viewing things is, is the right way. And these come from the way we're raised and where we went to school, how our parents and leaders taught us, and what denomination and church um, that we frequent. And this absolutely affects the way that we approach, interpret Bible stories, texts, and truths. And so one purpose for exegesis helps us to interpret texts by providing tools which help us work and derive the true meaning of the text by raising awareness the biases which we, uh, which may be influencing the way we read the text, uh, the way we acknowledge it, um, and yet it transforms our bias to the truth of God's word. And so may we all begin to <laughs> do this uh, when we observe such important topics such as faith. I think that's so helpful that you do that and you spell that out for our audience, because I do believe that there are women out there who want to figure out how can they know more? How can they be sure that what they're reading, that they are interpreting in the correct way? How do they understand context? And I think that is a very helpful takeaway that is not so much that uh, Clearly here, we don't have the time to go into a deep dive in how to do this in a very academic way, so to speak, but that is very applicable to our listeners. And I think that's really awesome that you bring that up. Amen. Thanks, Jess. More coming up right after this. If everyone is called to make and multiply disciples, everyone should be trained. Hi, my name is Mark Gearing, and you can find us at Multiplying Disciples on YouTube. And we put together some of the best tools we could find to help anybody get started in making disciples and help their disciples make disciples. So we would love to help you get started to reach those right around you and help you train them to multiply and reach the nations. There's been such an assault on defining or describing faith, and so many are being led astray into feelings of guilt, into directly into idolatry, to mysticism, and all kinds of shades of ridiculousness. So we want mm -hmm. to take a little time to explore what Jesus was not saying in these passages. First of all, he was not implying that our prayers are a blank check. He writes for us to cash in whatever we want. And we've allowed some pretty crazy theories to blanket our TVs and airways, preaching some sort of prosperity anointing on God's people as if these are biblical principles. Now, one might point to Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you or Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper, not harm, just good things, hope and future and use examples of lives of Joseph, uh, King Solomon, David, 
and Job, etc., as examples of people who were blessed. Uh, some will even consider that if they're blessed, let's say they're blessed financially, even um, health-wise or different versions of prosperity, that they will be a blessing to others. So therefore, it's God's will that they be blessed and have a life of blessing so that they may bless. Yet juxtaposed against the verses of 1 Timothy 6, 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. 1 Timothy 6, 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. It can get a little muddy here. So to answer the question, does God want us to be rich, successful, healthy, and wealthy? Can we name it and claim it? Do we just need to have faith and have more faith and not doubt? Then God will act in our favor. The Bible has much to say about wealth, health, and prosperity and addresses man's seemingly constant struggle between desiring to acquire it and paradoxically dying to self. Mm. And yes, there are many examples of wealthy and prosperous people in the Bible that God used in great ways. However, was their lives then a life of relaxation, happiness, and ease? Let's quickly look further into them. What did God require of them? These people, for example, had riches and success. Abraham, who was wealthy, he was instructed to leave his country and loved ones to blindly relocate to an unknown place for an unknown time. Moses traded the environment of a beautiful palace, comfortable living in esteemed position to risk his life before Pharaoh and lead a huge, often grumpy, ornery and ungrateful group of people who often wanted to overtake him or stone him and for 40 mm. years wandered in a hot, dusty desert, unknowing where the next food or water would come from. Joseph. We know the story. He was betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery, tasted the sweetness of success as Potiphar's assistant, only to be thrown into prison for a crime he did not commit and be forgotten about. Job, often used for his suffering as an example, he was wealthy, successful, walked uprightly with God, and then in a swoop of bad occurrences, lost all ten of his children, his property, possessions, health, and even his desire to live. David was a prosperous king of Israel, who after being anointed as the future king of Israel as a young lad, waited 25 years before it actually happened. In those 25 years, he experienced hunger, thirst, uncertainty, constant and blatant reality of death, yet wrote, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And then my last example, Solomon, uh, just the prime example of wealth, success, the wisest man, uh, the great king of Israel who built the temple and was esteemed as the most wealthy and the wisest man ever known. Yet ironically, as his request for wisdom was pleasing to God, he was not like his father, a man after God's heart. And this began to show later in his life through his indulgences that angered God and brought great strife to his lineage. Although the Lord burned with anger over Solomon because of my servant, David, God spared Solomon from taking away what he had promised David. But later on, Solomon lamented of his pursuit of worldly vanity in Ecclesiastes. So this somewhat piggybacks on our last segment when we were discussing the Hall of Faith. Interesting to note, if one had met Job, think about this, if one had met Job after God restored him, or Moses before he fled Egypt, 
what would their perception of them be? Or to reverse, if one only knew David as he was in Gath, so rebelling against God, hiding away, or Job on the roadside, covered in sores, then what would their interpretation of them be? Our lives on this side of heaven are a series of high and low points, and one can never truly begin to understand the glory of God's intervention in one's life without understanding a greater scope of context. And as seen in these examples, there is a constant juxtaposition between acquiring treasures, success, good health, power, abundant living, and dying to self, suffering, surrender of control. As a side note, the Beatitudes are a wonderful example of this. Again, we see that there is a heavy battle between desiring worldly gain or desiring even good things in life and surrendering ourselves to God's perfect will for us, for our true better good. And the Bible is filled with examples, reminders, and encouragements to stay focused on the work in the fields of the harvest. And I'm sad to state that I think that many of us Christians have gotten it wrong. We want to acquire great things, even to the point of promising we will glorify God through it. If you just give me this, if you just sustain me with this or take care of this, I will do that. Yet, are we really ready to be tested for such things? Do we know what it takes to be used for greatness according to God's standard. Many Christians caught up in the ideas of prosperity, of great health and success, risk the distraction of receiving tangible earthly blessings, whether it be wealth, health, success, recognition, etc., that the eternal blessings of God, divine wisdom, contentment, peace through trials and beyond, purpose-filling responsibilities, pure confidence through seeking and obedience, rewards in heaven, I could go on. If only we believed and applied seeking first the kingdom of God, what blessings he would lavish upon his children. Now, I I don't want to diminish someone's suffering, and I want to be very careful here because I know that there are ladies listening, uh, potentially ladies listening, and and if not them, then someone they know they love who is really suffering. Uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic. There are people still very sick, be all sorts of other diseases and ailments, but people are suffering. And I'm not in any way trying to put that exactly in the same box of seeking success or seeking wealth or other things. I think it's so easy sometimes that um, just in a desire, crying out to the Lord for relief, crying out in despair and longing for redemption from that, that it can be hard to let that go and let God. And I want to respect that while still uh, discussing some of these things. So I hope I can put that disclaimer on there that I do not ever mean to be insensitive or diminish someone's suffering in any way. But we must remember, daughters, that God is so much higher than we And therefore, his gifts, his perfect plan and purpose, specifically designed for us, far surpass the ideas of reward we ponder for ourselves. He has such great plans for us, and we have such sparse, meager plans for ourselves. 
Yeah, so it seems society and cultures use their own type of measuring stick and most define and measure the things you mentioned, prosperity, success, blessings, wealth, even health, knowing or unknowingly by a worldly standard, completely different than that of a biblical perspective. Health and healing is a huge topic uh, in its possible definitions and implications. As believers, we really need to consider what we talked about a bit earlier, not only the context of passages, but the entire counsel of God's word in order to gain a true and total picture of these things. I hear and witness quite a bit the absence of any notion, mention, consideration, or even acknowledgement of God's will, or that God even has a will of his own, or, you know, his will be done is completely left out from prayers and intentions. And it's replaced with my will, what I want and desire in this situation, what I command and will into existence and what I think is best. As if faith and authority in Christ means I'm now omniscient or omnipotent like God. So when we solely seek healing from pain and suffering over or in place of seeking and knowing God himself, his greater character and hope building purposes through the pain, or instead of the most important emphasis being salvation, which we know and understand comes by way of repentance and faith in Christ alone, um, and often through these tremendous trials, hardships, and sufferings. How many stories have we heard testifying of how being broken brought someone ultimately to having ears to hear the gospel and receiving saving faith, or how someone had never felt the presence of God and the peace of God so intensely and thoroughly than when they were suffering through sickness or had illness or cancer or any number of things like that. So when we only place certain pieces of a puzzle together, there's holes, there's gaps and missing parts. And the beauty and the true biblical message and purpose comes when we find and put all the intended pieces in their rightful places. And I'm speaking about spiritual truths, theologies, and doctrines. I would encourage all of us, myself included, to search the scriptures in an even greater manner, in a greater urgency, in an entirety, especially when referencing healing, miracles, and what we're talking about, God's will. Mm, Yeah, girl. If we were in fact able to ask for anything we want persistently enough and it be granted, we'd likely ask to be free from all sickness, all unhappiness, all discomfort, even when we need suffering to keep us humble, spiritually strong and God dependent. We choose to not have to endure it. I know I choose to not have to endure it. (laughs) Yeah, more than likely. Yes. And I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 8 and 9. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. This is Paul speaking. uh, That we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raiseth the dead. He also learned a lesson in overcoming self-dependence, and instead, depending on God, which made him spiritually strong, and without these sufferings to strengthen him, to challenge him, 
he would have likely been weak and ineffective, at least not nearly as effective as he was. Let us find great comfort in the fact that God is one who will say no to us when what we want will hinder or hurt us. So often it is God who places the mountain in our path. And these mountains are necessary. This brings me to 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10. Paul speaking again. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Mm. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He said, lest I be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. Wow that I begin to think highly of myself or become prideful that I am ultra special or holy according to my own work or my work higher than others. God keeps us humble and submitted to him. And yet look what God did through this one man. The Lord delights in our weakness for when we are weak, we're ready to listen. We're primed and motivated to act more than we would otherwise act. We're willing to go farther. Speaking of spiritual giftings, um, these can seem to create a playground sometimes for pride, self-exaltation. We know what happened with Lucifer, but like you said, God knows how and he will keep us each humble before him and dependent on him. So bringing us back around to the idea of measures of faith. And there's a passage in Romans 12, 1 through 8, beginning in uh, context verse 1, referring to offering our bodies as living sacrifices and not conforming to this world, being transformed by renewing our minds so that we may know what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And then it goes right into some spiritual gifts, verses 3 through 6. It's directly in line with measure of faith humility and God's will. Uh, So three through six, therefore, by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. And now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, according to the grace given to us. We have different gifts. Have you ever prayed that the Lord move you out of the way of something? That he be glorified? If so, then I imagine you were not surprised when he did exactly that. I had that very same scenario little more than a year ago. I'm writing a huge docuseries right now and As I seek more and more, just God's leading in this, as I continue to wade farther and further into the process and realizing where this is going to go, 
One of my prayers along the way has been that very thing. Lord, take me out of it. Use me and use this for your glory. Don't let me get in the way. You know, all those things. Well, at times I would have these big ideas and I still do. And uh, there was one time in particular, I remember, and it's been more than once, but I would think, Lord, whoa, that is crazy for that to come together. Oh, so much will have to happen. It's just about impossible. Like, wow, (laughs) there's no way I can accomplish this huge thing. No way. And it was like the Lord was impressing on my heart. Exactly. This is what you prayed for. He will move me out of the way and he will bless my obedience. As long as I remain in him, seeking him, consulting, obeying, that's my responsibility to press into him and let him work. Because when I am weak, when I don't know where this is all going to come from, when I don't know how one person is going to think these things or execute it and everything in between, Wonderful. Now he has room to work because then we will verify that this is God's will, because if it's God's will, then it will happen. And if it's not, if it goes down, then we go down with it. So I'm perfectly fine with that. And, you know, it's just been years of training that the Lord trained me to seek his will. If I can learn that, and live that, then I have peace. But praise God that he answers those prayers. Now, in thinking of things like affliction, I'd like to quote this beautiful quote um, from Robert Murray McShann. Affliction brings out graces that cannot be seen in a time of health. It is the treading of the grapes that brings out the sweet juices of the vine. So it is affliction that draws forth submission weanness from the world, and complete rest in God. Use afflictions while you have them. So what do you believe about faith? What biases might we be approaching the Word of God with, like topics such as faith or success or healing? Are we putting together all the biblical puzzle pieces so as to see the beautiful full picture in God's perspective? How may God be refining your faith? Thanks for spending your time with us. Join us tomorrow when we talk about walking in the faith. Tried, tested, and true. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified when new episodes are released. Also, please feel free to rate and review our podcast and share it with all your friends. Thank you for spending your time with us. We hope you're leaving with a deepening fascination to fellowship with the one who has created you for his purpose and desires to show you more of his goodness every day.